0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor
1: Sam Allen. Jesus simply said, Father, because Jesus wasn't born again or adopted into the family of God. He was always one with the Father. Same nature, same substance, same everything. His relationship and our relationship to the Father are different. We can only have a relationship with the Father through Him.
0: Today's broadcast, we have part one of a two-part study Pastor Sam has entitled, Jesus's High Priestly Prayer. We are looking at John chapter 17, which consists entirely of Jesus praying. First he prays for himself, then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays
1: for you and I, and all believers. So, let's listen in. John 17, 1, we read, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Three concepts frame Jesus' first words here in his high priestly prayer. The concept of his relationship to the Father, the word glorify, and the concept of glorifying and Well, glory, and then those words, eternal life, we're going to touch on them and we will lay them as our foundation. He begins his high priestly prayer, much as he taught us to pray. Of course, in the Lord's Prayer, well, what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, a prayer he never really would have had to pray himself since it included things like forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us he never sinned so he didn't need to ask for forgiveness for his sin nevertheless he does start in a very similar fashion and yet different than what he taught us to pray he taught us to pray our father but he doesn't say our father he simply says father why Well, because he was always one with the Father of the same nature, of the same substance before creation itself. We saw it in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, it's a mystery that's beyond me, and I've heard so many explanations of it. All of them fall short because we're trying to describe the infinite creator of all things, the indescribable God in human terms. But he is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray our Father because he taught us to pray that way. Jesus simply said, Father, because Jesus wasn't born again or adopted into the family of God. He was always one with the Father, same nature, same substance, same everything. His relationship and our relationship to the Father are different. We can only have a relationship with the Father through him. He always had a perfect relationship with the Father. So, so take note as we go through this, because Jesus, when he taught us to pray, said to pray, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. It begins just as he'll begin glorifying the Father. And then there's in the Lord's prayer, our prayer, a prayer for provision, a prayer for direction, a prayer for protection. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation. So provision, forgiveness, direction, and keep us from the evil one protection well and then it it ends that prayer for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever amen so here note as we walk through it he says father his first petition reveals his first priority his master passion that is that He would glorify the Father. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. 27 times in the Bible, the word glorify appears. Nine of them are here in John. The word glory though, it's 379 times. And 12 of them in John, three here in John 17. Glorified, likewise, 48 times, 11 in John, 2 here in John 17. So those three words, all with the same root, glorify, glory, glorified, they they point us to this reality that what was most important to Jesus is to bring glory to the Father. And one way he did that is to bring us to the Father. If we want to glorify the Father, Jesus made it simple. He said, abide in me and you'll bear fruit. Then you'll be pruned, and you'll bear more fruit. And then, well, you keep on bearing. And and in this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So we want to glorify the Lord. Abide in Jesus. Well, the same one who was with the Father, and in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Luke records that Jesus took Peter, James and John up on a mountain where he met with Moses and Elijah. They talked about his decease which he would accomplish there in Jerusalem. The word decease is actually our word exodus. We're going through exodus right now on our Wednesday evening services. At least when I get back to them, Jonathan has been covering those. And again, he's been doing a great job. But that word decease, it, it, it's an interesting one because it, it, it's it's like the way Moses led the people of Israel, the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. Well, jesus is is leading us and has led us out of the bondage of sin and depravity and deception and confusion and and everything that the darkness exalts into his glorious light. He calls it an accomplishment because the cross was not a a, a you know failure for Jesus. he, He wasn't a victim on the cross. He was a victor on the cross. He came to die for our sins, buried and risen again. So Peter and those who were with him there on the mountain, they've fallen asleep somehow. And then when they wake up, they notice, whoa, look, it's Moses and Elijah. And in the midst of all that, When they were fully awake, and you can look at it yourself later, it's Luke 9, 28 through, well, around verse 32 is where you'll find this. It says, when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. So Father, glorify, and then eternal life. He he said that this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's a very important revelation. If you're new to all this and a reminder, if not, eternal life is relational. It's more than an everlasting extension of time. It's a relationship with the one who created time and space, matter, everything. And eternal life is about knowing him To know him is to have eternal life. And and the word for know is one we're familiar with. It's gnosko. It means to have an experiential knowledge of and therefore an experience with someone. So to know him experientially is to know him intimately, to know him continually because it's in the present tense and here everlastingly. Not a word, but it works with the lees. So verses 6 through 8, we find what Jesus and the Father had done for them and for us and what they did and what we should do in return. He moves from his focus on the Father, which is where we should always start in prayer. We can learn from the model, even though this prayer is unique in Scripture, So he begins praying for himself. It's perfectly fine to do that, but it's not a shopping list. It's praying that he could glorify the Father and that he could rightly represent the Father. We want to pray that same way. He says, I have manifested, verse six, and the word means made visible. God's invisible. He's spirit those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth so so since we can't see him and misunderstand him and he says i've manifested or made visible your name your nature your character your attributes everything about the father we can see in the son that's why he said if you've seen me you've seen the father not that he is the father, but they are just so much alike that to see one is to see the other. Hebrew says he's the exact representation of the father. That word exact means just that he is the perfect and only perfect representation of the father. Well, he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. To keep here is to guard, to preserve, and to obey the word of God. And they have known all things which you've given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Well, in the midst of all that, his attention now turns fully to that group of men he first chose. He personally discipled. He empowered and sent out to represent him when he was still available to follow up and and go to the very places he was sending them. So he prays for those who were chosen by him, who had responded to him and became his, and in doing so began to glorify him. I pray for them, he says, verse nine. I do not pray for the world. And he means I do not pray for the world yet or not here because he will do that in the third section of his high priestly prayer. I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. He prayed for them, by the way, before he chose them. He prayed for them during the years. He discipled them. He prays for them here, knowing the cross is literally the the, the very next day. And, And he prays. Well, even now from the throne, having ascended back to the Father from whence he came, he prays interceding for them and interceding for us. He says he doesn't pray for the world here, He's praying for those through whom he will reach the world. And while we don't see them or hear them or follow them, we have their words. We have their testimony. We know what they did. We know what he did in and through them. We know what they had to say. It's been recorded for our learning, for our instruction, for our encouragement. Verses 11 and 12, Jesus reminds us His public ministry of preaching and teaching and healing was behind him. He had accomplished everything the Father sent him to do except the cross. And he knew that was just ahead. I am no longer in the world. He speaks as if he'd already accomplished what's about to be accomplished. Because once you set your heart to do the will of the Father, well, It's a done deal. And from heaven's perspective, it was already accomplished. No longer am I in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those who you've given me that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. This next petition, what we just read is that the Father would keep them. The word means to preserve them, to guard them, to protect them. And of course, we're looking for all of that for ourselves and for those we're ministering to and among. And so He had a little while with them, very little now, but he, up to this point, had done those very things. He was preserving them. He was guarding them. He was teaching them. He was protecting them. Son of Perdition, by the way, reveals Judas' decision to reject Jesus, the light of the world, and embrace the darkness. It sealed his fate forever. Like Satan before him and Antichrist after him, It left no room for repentance. There is room for confusion in this statement, though, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Some read that and they're like, oh, so God willed it. God wanted it. I'd say, no way. And here's why. We know that it's not God's will any perish, but that all come to repentance. And that would have included Judas. But listen, it it doesn't mean Judas betrayed Jesus since God willed it. It can never mean that, but God foretold it. He didn't have to cause it. He did know what Judas was going to do, but it doesn't make him responsible for what Judas did. And it's a big distinction and an important difference because today... There are so many people who just don't believe in God at all. Then there are people who believe in God, but blame him for the things that are wrong in the world. He's everything that's right in the world. Every good and precious gift, every pure and good gift comes down from him. And all the chaos and confusion, it's bred from the enemy of our soul, Satan. It's bred from our our greater enemy, the one who lives within our own fleshly carnal desires. And, and, And so son of perdition, that is describing him as we've chosen to become children of God. We were, by the way, chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world that we'd be holy and blameless before him in love. Nevertheless, we had to choose him As well. Why? Because there are people who just say no to Jesus. Judas was one of them, chosen by him, discipled, empowered, sin out, even used by Jesus. And yet Jesus doesn't call Judas a son of God, but a son of perdition, a son of destruction, a son of the darkness, not of the light. God foretold it before Judas did it, but Judas chose to turn in and betray and and sell out his Lord. Well, the Lord, he never really submitted, so I guess we shouldn't call uh, Jesus Judas Lord. Nevertheless, Jesus continues now his petitions for the disciples. He asked the Father to enable them as he'd enabled him being aware of the promises assured of his faithfulness that they would be able to bear up in all the trials and tribulations that they would soon face and that they would be able to find joy in the midst of them. And of course, these things, he prayed for them. But now that we're walking with him and being transformed by and used by him, Well, these things apply to us as well. He says in verse 13, now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world just as I am not of the world. This would be his joy in spite of the world's hatred and rejection. It was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And we're told, and now he sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. In fact, let me read you the context of that. It's Hebrews 12, first couple verses say this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded By such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy who was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." That whole picture of laying aside every weight so we can run our race. Jacob, last week, I watched both services. Don't always do that when I'm not here. He did so good. And and those illustrations really hit home for me because I know you couldn't know it looking at me. But when I was young, I also used to run. I ran track a little, but I ran streets a lot. I I went to high school in Chicago, lived on the south side of the city where there were two kinds of people. There were the quick and the dead. And so when I went to the movies, and this is absolutely true, I would run home from them. When I was on my way to school, I would run to school. When I was coming home, I would run home. Why? Because the less time you're on the street, the more chance you make it home safely. And sadly, though, that sounds funny. It's still true today there in Chicago. It's still one of the most dangerous cities in the world to live in. In the three years I spent there, I actually, you know how people say, I think hell's right here. I wasn't a Christian yet. I knew that wasn't the case. I knew there's a literal heaven and hell. I I knew a lot about the Bible. I just didn't know the Lord as my Lord and Savior. And so I, I used to say, you know, I think they're right. Hell is right here. It's right here in the south side of Chicago. And then I moved to Newport Beach where I met Pam and and listen, that was 40 years ago, by the way, 1970, so crazy, but uh, where I met and married my wife, and, and uh, I literally used to say, I think this is heaven. I, I knew it wasn't, but compared to Chicago, it felt like it. It was such a stark difference. It was truly darkness and light. It was truly death and life. It was hopelessness and hope. And God used that to kind of say, you know, as, as much as this is better than that, you can't even begin to imagine what really awaits you, what heaven will really be like for you. Well, he says we need to put aside and lay off and take off of everything that, that hinders us and then run the race that he set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We endure what we endure, not because, well, we deserve it and we messed up so much, we kind of feel better if we suffer a little. I don't feel better when I suffer. I hate suffering. I feel better when I realize I have a a, a Lord and, and Master who suffered for me. He didn't promise I wouldn't suffer. He, he set the course and he said, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And, and first Peter says, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust themselves to him as unto a faithful creator and faithful savior. Pastor Sam ended today's broadcast
0: with a wonderful outlook on suffering particularly when we suffer for the name of Jesus. Not just the suffering that we endure because we live in a fallen world, but the suffering we endure as we take up our cross and deny ourselves in the service of Jesus Christ. If you really want a wonderful look at those who did this and did it in a remarkable way, look at Acts chapter five, verses 40 and 41 and see what it says about the apostles. And they agreed with him, it says. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded the apostles that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. So the apostles departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They rejoiced. They rejoiced that they were worthy enough to suffer for his name. And if you read further on, they went right back to doing what they were told not to do. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam.